listening to Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses with Mary Graham. We are doing great on our consecration preparation. We are on day 22, which starts on page 87 of Father Michael Gately's book, 33 Days to Morning Glory. It's a do-it-yourself retreat in preparation for Marian consecration. If you do not have your copy of this material yet, you really need to get a copy. It's great to be able to follow along. You can get it at 33daystomorningglory.com. That's 33daystomorningglory.com. I do have Julie Musselman and Mary Beth Finster joining me again today. Let's begin reading now in the book. During this fourth and final full week, we'll be focusing on the example and words of another great teacher of Marian consecration, St. John Paul II. The most Marian Pope, as he's been called, profoundly deepened the Church's understanding of Marian consecration. Building on the work of the Second Vatican Council, he provides us with a thoroughly biblical treatment of Marian consecration, which he also calls entrustment, and hones in on the idea that it's Mary's role to lead us into the mystery of Christ's redeeming love and self-consecration to the Father. So let's begin day 22, Mary's Gift of Mercy. In 1917, while World War I raged, the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to three shepherd children in Fatima, Portugal. She told them that the war would end, but if people didn't convert, a worse war would follow, and Russia would soon spread its arrows throughout the world, causing more wars, martyrs, and persecutions of the Church. To prevent this, Mary asked that the Holy Father consecrate Russia to her Immaculate Heart and for the people to make five consecutive First Saturday communions of reparation. In the end, she said, her Immaculate Heart would triumph. It's interesting that Mary mentioned Russia. At the time, this was cause for confusion. Russia? Holy Russia? What errors would this devoutly Christian country spread throughout the world? And how could such a poor Russia exercise so much influence? At this point in history, the Soviet Revolution was in its infancy. The communist, atheist, totalitarian regimen had not yet been established. After Mary gave her prophecy about Russia, the children saw a vision involving a bishop dressed in white, who they understood to be the Pope. With great distress, they saw that he would suffer much and then be shot and killed. The children described what they saw only to church authorities who decided not to disclose it to the public. This became known as the last secret of Fatima. Now, the very first apparition of Our Lady of Fatima happened on May 13, 1917, at 5 p.m. Exactly 64 years later, May 13, 1981, at 5 p.m., a small open-air jeep rode out into St. Peter's Square carrying Pope John Paul II, who warmly greeted pilgrims gathered in the square. At one point, the jeep stopped so that the Pope could take a little girl into his arms. After he gave her back to her jubilant parents, the jeep continued on its way through the sea of waving, cheering pilgrims. Suddenly, a gunman fired two shots at the Pope from close range. The first bullet grazed his elbow. The second struck him in the abdomen and ricocheted inside him, shredding intestines and piercing his colon. Miraculously, the bullet missed the main abdominal artery by one-tenth of an inch. Had it struck or even grazed, John Paul would have bled to death on the way to the hospital. Realizing this blessing, the Pope stated that one hand fired, 
and another guided the bullet. What hand guided the bullet? John Paul believes it was the hand of Our Lady of Fatima. The May 13th anniversary was not lost on him. In fact, after the shooting, he asked for the envelope containing the last secret of Fatima, the one about the bishop, dressed in white. Then, with Fatima much on his mind, he thought to consecrate the world to Mary's Immaculate Heart as soon as possible, and he began composing an act of entrustment, which he solemnly prayed less than a month later. Even before this, within a week of the shooting, he repeated his own personal consecration to Mary in a recorded address to the pilgrims gathered at St. Peter's Square. To you, Mary, I repeat, totus tuus ego sum. On March 25, 1984, in St. Peter's Square, before the official statue of Our Lady of Fatima that had been flown in for the occasion, John Paul made a more solemn entrustment of the world to Mary's Immaculate Heart. He concluded the prayer with the following words, Let there be revealed once more in the history of the world the infinite saving power of the redemption, the power of merciful love. May it put a stop to evil. May it transform conscience. May your Immaculate Heart reveal for all the light of hope. After learning of the Pope's solemn entrustment, Sister Lucia, the lone survivor of the three Fatima seers, declared that it fully satisfied Our Lady's original request. Five years later, the horrific Soviet totalitarian regime that had terrorized millions of people suddenly came to an end. That victory won. The Pope didn't rest. What he once called the century of tears was far from over. To confront the ongoing evil and injustice in the world, he forcefully proclaimed with growing frequency the saving power of God's merciful love. His efforts to promote this message culminated in the establishment of the Universal Feast of Divine Mercy Sunday in 2000, and then a solemn act of entrustment of the world to Divine Mercy in 2002. Three years after this entrustment, the great Marian Pope, the great Mercy Pope, died on a first Saturday and the vigil of Divine Mercy Sunday. Mary had saved his life at the dawn of his pontificate so that through him, her divine son could lead the church to the victory of mercy and the triumph of her immaculate heart. Julie, can you finish the prayer? And so today we pray and ponder in our hearts, come Holy Spirit living in Mary, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Amen. This reading for today, I can't tell you how exciting this is to me to look at all these details of what happened in actual history. I mean, how many times do we study history without any of the eyes of faith looking upon it? And this to me, where you combine the two, just enriches everything that we know actually happened that we three all lived through uh, and, and really just takes it to a new level. Uh, that last part that you were reading, Mary Beth, about um, it saved him at the dawn of his pontificate, we have to realize in 1981, John Paul II was a fairly young man. I, I believe he was born in 1920, so he would have been 61 years old. He had only been pope for about three years or two and a half years at that time. So it was very early in his pontificate, and he was still, uh, at that point in his life, he was a very vibrant man. I think he was still skiing and doing a lot of outdoor uh, activities at that point. And then we all remember, fast forward to 2005, when he died, he, he died in the world's, world stage, I guess you could say. The cameras, the news reports, 
he was very weak, very, his body was taken over by Parkinson's disease. And the fact that he died, the day he died, was both a first Saturday and he died in the evening after having celebrated Mass for Divine Mercy Sunday, the next, which would have been the next day. The fact that that was the day he died is just incredible. I mean, you really see the hand of Providence. And it might be a good time to mention now Father Gately's book that he has out, The Second Greatest Story Ever Told. Um, it, first it was a CD, but now it's in book form, and it really puts together all the historical pieces of the puzzle that you just go and, yes, dates matter. I mean, it, it, it's exciting to, to see it. The wonderful thing about that is that through April 5th, of 2015, you can get your free copy of that book. We're offering it, and the, you just pay the postage to send it to you, and it's titled The Second Greatest Story Ever Told, and you can find more about that on 33daystomorninglory.com. But what's great about the book is what we just read in the two pages here, which is a very, very great summary. The book just goes into every single detail about not only John Paul II getting shot on the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, but it takes into account the Polish history, St. Maximilian Kolbe, St. Faustina, and it just weaves this amazing story of all these things that were truly happening in the world and in how that God worked all of those things to good. It is incredible how the Lord works. I have to kind of go in a little bit different direction here because something that amazes me about this, about today's lesson is the fact that you had these young kids who kept secrets, big secrets. I don't know if I could have contained myself. <laughs> <laughs> Not only did they keep them, they were actually very much threatened by the local secular authorities. Yes. Um, uh-huh. And we know that uh, Jacinta and her brother were both, they both died very young. They were preteens, mm-hmm. I think, when they died. But the third seer, Lucia, lived into her 90s and actually met with John Paul. And so it, it, that in itself is very interesting to me, that her life was so long to kind of conclude the mission uh, and to be able to give her approval to the, the entrustment that John Paul did was amazing. This is so exciting as we progress on our consecration preparation to Our Lord Through Our Lady on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses with Mary, Mary Beth, and Julie. Coming up, we are going to go through the retreat companion to the 33 Days to Morning Glory. Do it yourself retreat that's written by Father Michael Gately. The companion is written by Carol R. Younger. You can get your copy of these materials at 33daystomorningglory.com. That's the numbers 33daystomorningglory.com. Our daily prayer for day 22. Come Holy Spirit, living in Mary, have mercy on us and on the whole world. This also begins a new week for us, which gives us a new weekly prayer, and the weekly prayer is the Magnificat. Please join me in praying. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked with favor on His lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. He has mercy on those who fear Him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his children forever. Coming up next on Real Life Radio, we're going to go through the questions in the retreat companion. We'll be right back. 
Radio's Living Witnesses with Mary Graham, Julie Musselman, and Mary Beth Finster. We are learning about St. John Paul II during our consecration preparation with Father Michael Gately. And we are now getting into the Retreat Companion. We're on page 95. This book is written by Carol R. Younger, and you can get your copy of these retreat materials at 33daystomorningglory.com. Question number one. In her visions at Fatima, Our Lady asked, first, for the consecration of Russia to her Immaculate Heart, and second, for First Saturday Communion of Reparation. Can you see the connection between these requests and your own consecration to Jesus through the Immaculate Heart of Mary? Before we get into that question, the questions here, though, Julie, can you please explain to us what is the First Saturdays? Yeah, the first five Saturday devotion, it's it's pretty simple, but I know a lot of people have never heard of it, and I had never heard about it for a long time, but once I did, I just was really delighted to know what it was and to be able to participate in it. This is from the footnote on page 130, excuse me, footnote 131, page 194 of the book, 33 Days to Morning Glory, Father Gately explains, the pious practice of five first Saturdays began after Our Lady's apparitions in Fatima. In the July apparition in 1917, Mary said to Lucia, I shall come to ask that on the first Saturday of every month, communions of reparation be made in atonement for the sins of the world. It wasn't until December 10, 1925, when Our Blessed Mother again appeared to Lucia, this time at Pentaverda, Spain, where Lucia had been sent to learn to read and write from the Dorothean sisters, that she completed her request for the five first Saturdays. Our Lady told Lucia, See, my daughter, my heart encircled by thorns with which ungrateful men pierce it at every moment by their blasphemies and ingratitude. Do you at least strive to console me? Tell them that I promise to assist at the hour of death with the graces necessary for salvation all those who, in order to make reparation to me on the first Saturday of five successive months, go to confession, receive Holy Communion, say five decades of the rosary, and keep me company for a quarter of an hour meditating on the 15 mysteries of the rosary. The practice of the first Saturdays consists of the following elements performed with the intention of reparation and for five consecutive months. So here's kind of the punch list of what we would need to do. Confession before or after the first Saturday, so long as the person receives Holy Communion in a state of grace. Holy Communion received on the first Saturday. The Holy Rosary, five decades, recited sometime during the day. And meditating for 15 minutes on those mysteries of the rosary, 15 minutes or more. So uh, there's a little bit of things to do there with this devotion. And I'll tell you what, when I first read it, I'm like, oh, that's a lot. I got to go to confession. I got to go to mass. I got to pray the rosary. And there's a, as I understood it more, though, it's kind of like a little training program. It's kind of like a little school boot camp, I'd say, for five first Saturdays. And uh, it really does require a little bit of us, but it's a beautiful way to make reparation for the sins of the world and to enhance our own spiritual life and get in touch with those graces our Lord and Our Lady want to send. Last year, it was really cool. I went to a wedding of a young couple, and it was on Divine Mercy weekend, so they got married on Saturday. They actually had confession for the people that were invited before the wedding, because um, it was on um, 
you know, for divine mercy. So it was just kind of a neat thing that you wouldn't typically see as a wedding. So you received, while it wasn't the first Saturday, it was still part of divine mercy um, and that feast day Mm -hmm. that we'll learn about um, coming up. But, you know, that question's kind of just a bit, I don't know, I kind of had one word that came to mind, so I kind of simply answered it. As far as the connection between the requests of Our Lady and your own consecration. Yes, yes. And and I I just think of a word um, that I learned in Scripture study called metanoia, which is just turning away and conversion. And that's the word that just kind of screamed out to me that, you know, to turn away from the sin that we're doing, the things that we know, and um, have just total conversion of heart to turn away. I think another connection between uh, Mary's request for the five first Saturdays and our consecration to Jesus through Mary that we're doing with 33 Days to Morning Glory is, is basically trust. It's learning to trust more, um, and ask Our Lady for her help. And in both ways, we're going to Jesus through Mary. And it, Mary always and only points us to her son. And so in both the 33 Days to Morning Glory consecration, which we'll complete here, and we're getting closer, as well as doing the first Saturday devotion, I, I think it's just drawing us closer to Our Lady and, and helping us learn to trust more. Let's move on to question number two. The first apparition at Fatima and the shooting of John Paul II in St. Peter's Square both occurred on May 13th at 5 p.m. John Paul II did not consider this a coincidence. What is a coincidence anyway? Have you ever experienced any coincidences in your life? Do you believe, as John Paul II did, that in the designs of the providence there are no mere coincidences? If so, what do you think God is saying through such God incidences in your life? If not, what explanation do you give to others of the two instances being similar in time, circumstances, or outcome? I had a big yes, yes, yes with the explanation <laughs> point because God incidences. This, this question just is, isn't that happening to us all every single day? God, is, when we look for it, when, yes, and and God's not bound by time, but but He breaks through it, and it's all about time and dates because you know. Um, as humans, we're always reflecting back on significant dates in our life, whether maybe birthdays or, you know, the day we got married. And, and then when you go through something difficult, how often we, we hear and, and kind of suffer with each other and we think, okay, this time last year or this time 10 years ago, and we kind of relive it as a way, I believe, for God to call us back to remember, very much like we do all the time to remember his passion, death, and resurrection. We recall specifically with certain dates, and and it's happening every moment. One of the things that's been fun as our family has tried to learn some of the saints' days more and the different feast days of the church is, is knowing some of these key dates. And obviously, Pope John Paul the great would have known them very well. You know, many of us might not have ever known May 13th had a Fatima connection, but he sure did. And so he was able to see with the eyes of faith um, what was actually happening there. So I really think that's a great thing for us to take out of this lesson as we're learning to trust Jesus and Mary more and learn more about them is to learn about the church and the feast days and the saints days. Uh, particularly the ones of the names of the kids in our family or ourselves and our confirmation names. We've talked about that on previous days. But another tip, Mary, that I think helps us kind of see these God incidences, so to speak, is 
if we keep a prayer journal or if we keep a um, any kind of meditational reflections where we're praying for something specific and we then go back and see how God answers those, I think that's a great tool to help us remember those things, those problems we had, the issues, the, the anxieties that were on our hearts and how God answers them. And it might also be a window into these certain God incidences where we maybe met a certain person or had something happen to us on a particular day or time that uh, answered a prayer that we had in our heart. Well, my, I mentioned it before, my specific example of, you know, back in 2002 when my husband on February 11th went into a coma and then just a few hours later um, I received the call that my mother had also had lymphoma and then he went on to die the next day and it was to me the worst day, my Good Friday. At that point in my journey, I had no idea what our Lady of Lords was. I, I just didn't even know that feast day. I remember February 11th. February 11th. And I remember about three years later, and every year I would kind of remember what I had gone through. And I remembered sitting at Mass on February 11th, and they announced the feast day, and I went, boom. I could not believe wow. it because of the grace and beauty of the of the feast of Our Lady of Lords and all the, the healings that have taken place. And then just recently, just a month ago, I found out that John Paul II had written his document on the human meaning of suffering, Salvitici Dolores, which on February 11th, and I believe it was 1981, but February 11th again, and what it called me to do, Mary, is I stopped, I went home, and I actually looked up the document because I could feel God saying, tugging on my shoulder, mm -hmm. he wanted me to read it. I would have never probably picked up that document. And I think that it's not just saints and these people out there that we look at the dates of their lives, but every time I see how it intertwines in the lives of others, our friends, our family, when things occur and maybe somebody's going through something difficult, and I'll look at what day it is, what feast, what saint, and then the message maybe we're supposed to receive that God's breaking through to communicate to us. Do you guys know if there's a master list anywhere of on this day in history as far as faith events? We have it for all the secular stuff. Has it been happened for, you know, on this day in history? That'd be awesome. We think we need one of those if there isn't one already. Well, they, they list like the, the calendar of saints. Like you can go to Catholic.org mm -hmm. and see who the different saints right. is. For no, but day. I mean everything like this encyclical was written on this date. Not just saints of the day. Oh. Just everything faith filled on that day. Wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, that would be awesome. I know for sure that a lot of times a papal encyclical or document is officially signed and promulgated on a, a specific date. Um, so they, they, there is those tie-ins. It'd be a good project for a high school student. What I do, do. <laughs> absolutely. Tell your kids we got something for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck with that one, my kids. <laughs> It is time that we wrap up this segment of our program. We will be back with questions number three and four on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses with preparation for consecration through Our Lady. My garments
back to Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses as we continue. We are on day 22. Question number three reads, We read that John Paul II solemnly entrusted the whole world to Mary's Immaculate Heart in 1984, and that the beginning of the collapse of communism in Europe outwardly began five years later. We also read that the Pope solemnly entrusted the world to the Divine Mercy in 2002, saying that Divine Mercy would prepare the world for the Lord's final coming. Of course, we have no indication of when this is going to happen. Why is consecration or entrustment so important to John Paul II? How is your consecration to Mary related to the consecration of the world to Mary and divine mercy? How does your trust in Mary reflect your trust in love and mercy of Jesus? Okay, that was pretty theological to me. There's a bunch of um, stuff in there. <laughs> you know, I'd like to simplify it just at least in the beginning, just to take the word entrusted. I think that word really had a lot of meaning for me, becoming a mother. And when, I, you know, you, at first you think these kids are yours. But then, you, you know, as you grow in your faith, you realize that they're just entrusted to our care. And that word is something, you know, you unpack every day as you, you know, you wake up and, and you put those shoes on to be whatever the road of motherhood and, and uh, takes you down. So that, that, that was the first part of the question that, that kind of was something I just kind of wanted to sit and think about. Um, and as we go forward in the consecration preparation, we're going to look at this word entrustment a whole lot more. That's, that'll be upcoming in some of the future days. But particularly the, these two points about Mary and mercy, that's really what this, this question is asking about. Entrusting, entrustment of the world to Mary and then entrusting the world to divine mercy of Jesus. So we've got Mary and mercy and I believe that that is so beautifully exemplified. Last week when we were talking about Blessed Mother Teresa standing at the foot of the cross that's in the Bible, John chapter 19, where Mary's at the foot of the cross, standing there with Jesus. His heart is pierced by the soldier. The blood and water comes out, which is what we know from St. Faustina, is showing us the mercy coming out, the divine mercy image. And, and just reflecting on those two things and how closely they're connected. So it's not like we do one or the other. It, it would be both and. And the part about the last question, Mary, how does your trust in Mary reflect your trust in the love and mercy of Jesus? I, I agree with what Mother Teresa felt, that we couldn't stand there at the foot of that cross alone. Mary's there with her arm around our shoulder, taking us to Jesus and the, the divine mercy there. And I just love reflecting on that. That really is something that I'm going to take into my day as I ponder this. And and since you mentioned Mother Teresa, I also think back to that word when they described Besa, that her promise and what her promise meant in her culture. It's really hard to try to understand why the consecration and, and act of entrustment was so important to John Paul II without really looking at his life and, and the way he was raised in, in, you know, just the regiment of the Nazis and Poland and war-torn areas and, and the culture of what was happening at the time for Colby and Faustina and John Paul um, at the time and, and why this would be so important. You know, we've heard that Poland is considered to be the country who lost World War II twice because they were attacked on the West from the German Nazis and then kind of made it through that. And then communism, Russia from the East attacks them. And so they, they that country suffered the greatest and the longest. 
And yet, this is what another beautiful God incidence is, is when John Paul II consecrated the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in 1984. Just five years later, we, we solidarity came up, and then later the Berlin Wall fell. We can remember mm-hmm. how John Paul II worked with President Reagan and Margaret Thatcher to make so many of those things behind the scenes. And it's just tremendous when we look at what was going on in our faith with these secular events. Let's move on to question number two. Mary's Magnificat is her personal response to the great mercy God bestowed on her. Through your consecration to Jesus through Mary, you have the opportunity to participate in her Magnificat by your praise of Jesus. Rewrite the Magnificat with your first name in the place of the reference to Mary. Of course, the line, all generations will call me blessed, doesn't exactly fit for us. Except, perhaps, when we consider the great gift of Marian consecration, which makes us especially blessed. Give thanks for God's mercy to you personally. The Magnificat is actually the prayer that we're going to be praying throughout this week, Mary. And it's Mm -hmm. printed in the Retreat Companion uh, at the beginning of week four on page 93. And I'll just read it briefly, and I I love what this question is asking, is for us to just hear our own name and make this prayer that Mary prayed when she, uh, this was taking place at the visitation, when she's newly pregnant and going to help her cousin Elizabeth, who is very old and pregnant. And these are the words that that Mary says. This is from Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day forward, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich sent empty away. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Amen. You know, the word, I just wanted to interject this here, you know, for some of our Christian brothers and sisters, sometimes with Mary, you know, trying to understand the Immaculate Conception, and that word Savior, we'll see, you know, she needed a Savior. Why would she be Mm -hmm. freed from sin? But I I heard a really great example of how, you know, think of you were in a jungle, and you were, there was a ditch that was covered by just brush to, um, like, the the, uh, enemy was trying to get you, and we come running, and we fall into the ditch, and we need to be saved and and pulled out of the ditch. In the second example, someone's running, and you go, whoa, stop, before the person falls in the ditch. Both of them needed to be saved from the ditch. One Mm -hmm. is saved after they have fallen in and cleansed and cleaned up, and Mary is represented by the second, is is saved before by not even falling into the ditch. And and that really makes a lot of sense to me. By the merits of her son, Jesus Christ. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So it just, it just helps with that. But um, I, I just feel such praise 
with this question. I, I, I think, thank you, Jesus. And I love this quote from St. Teresa of Avila. She says, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. You know, you just have peace. Um, just when I think about uh, this, this whole question. I love some of the lines within this scripture that we're going to be praying all week, and the question's challenging us to put our own name into this. So, for instance, could I say, the Almighty has done great things for Julie, and holy is his name. His mercy is on Julie, who hopefully fears him, Mm -hmm. uh, and he's shown the strength of his arm for me. I think that's a beautiful way to really pray it, and they suggest that you even write it with your name in it, because there is, as we've talked about in previous uh, podcasts, there's something very powerful about our name and hearing our name and the fact that God wants this for each of us individually. This is not something that, okay, the whole group gets it and I'm part of the group. This is a very specific thing we're doing with preparing for consecration. And by praying this prayer personally, I think that'll really help us go deeper as we prepare for that day. And let's face it, if you complain about everything, it's harder. (laughs) But I mean, when something happens, if, if we sit and complain about it, what, what does it do? It just makes it so much harder. And, and praise and just trying to do a lot of spiritual reading just on praise. And I mentioned Jeff Cavins' book before um, on praise. But, you know, there was another book that I had read that was um, called The Power of Praise. And the author talks about an example of power steering, that when you have that, oh. that, you know, it just praising things makes things so much the easier. Exactly. <laughs> the drive is smoother with power steering, and without it, it, you can't even move the wheel. And so, yes, we all encounter. I mean, it's like what isn't going to happen most days? And I just look at my daily walk as a m- wife and mother, and those are some of the most challenging things to have to praise God first and, and not get into an angry fit because, you know, things don't go my way. <laughs> And it's so easy. How often do we get in that angry fit? And mm-hmm. we just dwell on it all day long. And, and I am really trying to make a concerted effort when things don't go right to find something else to turn my attention to, whether it's praise or prayer or even just um, jumping into some other topic or getting on with my day. Because if I let that bad thing stick in my head, I will beat that thing to a pulp all day long. And it makes you miserable. <laughs> Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Well, I feel a little bit miserable because this is the end of our conversation for the day. It's been delightful, ladies. Thank you so much for joining us here on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses. Coming up after the break, we're going to take a look at St. Louis Montfort's prayer and at this stage in his preparation for to Jesus Christ through our name. It's all coming up on Real Life Radio.
as we continue on day 22 of preparation for consecration to Our Lady. Looking at St. Louis de Montfort and his writings and prayers that he used for his consecration preparation, today we read from True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, paragraphs 106 to 110, Marks of Authentic Devotion to Our Lady. First, true devotion to Our Lady is interior, that is, it comes from within the mind and the heart, and follows from the esteem in which we hold her, the high regard we have for her greatness, and the love we bear for her. Second, it is trustful, that is to say, it fills us with confidence in the Blessed Virgin, the confidence that a child has for its loving mother. It prompts us to go to her in every need of body and soul, with great simplicity, trust, and affection. Third, true devotion to Our Lady is holy. That is, it leads us to avoid sin and to imitate the virtues of Mary. Her ten principal virtues are deep humility, lively faith, blind obedience, unceasing prayer, constant self-denial, surpassing purity, ardent love, heroic patience, angelic kindness, and heavenly wisdom. Fourth, true devotion to Our Lady is constant. It strengthens us in our desire to do good and prevents us from giving up our devotional practices too easily. It gives us the courage to oppose the fashions and maximus of the world and vexations and unruly inclinations of the flesh and the temptations of the devil. Thus, a person truly devoted to our Blessed Lady is not changeable, fretful, scrupulous, or timid. Fifth, True devotion to Mary is disinterested. It inspires us to seek God alone in His Blessed Mother and not ourselves. The true subject of Mary does not serve His illustrious Queen for selfish gain. He does not serve her for temporal or eternal well-being, but simply and solely because she has the right to be served. St. Louis de Montfort continues with the Litany to the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost followed by the Litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary, also known as the Litany of Laredo. We're going to listen to Donna Corey Gibson's version of this once again. You can find her music at DonnaCoreyGibson.com while we meditate on our questions for Day 22, which is on page 95 of our workbook. Question number one. In a vision at Fatima, Our Lady asked, first, for the consecration of Russia to her Immaculate Heart, and second, for First Saturday Devotions. Can you see the connection between these requests and your own consecration to Jesus through the Immaculate Heart of Mary? And explain why. And question number two. The first apparition at Fatima and the shooting of John Paul II in St. Peter's Square both occurred on May 13th at 5 p.m. John Paul II did not consider this a coincidence. Have you experienced any coincidences in your life? Do you believe, as John Paul II did, in the designs of the Providence? There are no mere coincidences. If so, what do you believe God is saying through such God incidences in your life? If not, what explanation do you give to others of the two instances being similar in time, circumstances, or outcome?
question number three. Why is consecration entrustment so important to John Paul II? How is your consecration to Mary related to the consecration of the world to Mary and divine mercy? How does your trust in Mary reflect your trust in the love and mercy of Jesus? And question number four for today. We were asked to rewrite the Magnificat with your first name in the place of the references to Mary. Think about God's mercy and give thanks to Him for His mercy to you personally. Hail, bright star of ocean, God's own mother blessed ever since.
Just a 